Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Alexis. And we're here today to talk about Season 5, Episode 3, titled The Guy for This. Alexis, what did you think of this episode? We got to see a lot of interesting things in this one. We got to see a literal land of milk and honey that went on for a minute. Um, Hank and Gomez come back. Saul gets dragged into all the Salamanca's drama again. And Kim gets to gets to yell at a dude. <laughs> she does. I always love the scenes where Kim yells at a dude. Yes. When she yells at Howard in like uh, season four, mm-hmm. it's just phenomenal. It is. It's very cathartic. She brings his world down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't work as well on this guy. No. And then like they're, they're, it's such a complex scene and a, a complex vibe for Kim this episode. Because, mm-hmm. man, she's really trying to do things right, but she's doing some things wrong, and she knows it, and this guy points it out, and she feels bad about it, and then she feels even worse when it doesn't work out. Like, man, Kim is such a fascinating character. She's probably my favorite character in the show. Yeah, I think she she's brought the most to the game so far. Yeah, she's, she's the... Uh, hmm. I, I want to say she's the moral compass of the show that's not always true mm-hmm. and i don't think it's true it might not be true next episode <laughs> given what we see here but yeah she's she's always kind of the guiding light and she keeps jimmy as much on the straight and narrow as she can mm-hmm. even though she sort of leans in like it's hard to resist jimmy you know and his lifestyle and his charm and just that that amount of fun and she herself the thing that keeps her from being like this super boring character is the fact that she does have a wild streak. Mm-hmm. She does kind of give off a little bit of a reformed party girl vibe. Okay, yeah. To me in some ways. I can see it. Yeah. The ponytail might fool you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, she, could, she could probably get down in her, her early 20s. Oh, absolutely. Why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really like this episode too. I thought... Um, I don't know why it's the smallest scene in the entire episode, but the evolution of Gus's sort of operations here, his his battle with Lalo. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it takes place over the course of the episode, but it comes to a head sort of uh, in that Gus scene, which is very short. Um, but it kind of tells you everything you need to know. And there's some stuff to speculate about, which we'll get there, like mm-hmm. maybe who he's going to send to these dead drops now that he knows. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like that part and I, I guess I like the mic stuff. I don't, the mic stuff isn't really doing much for me right now. It, it kind of strays into the superhero. <laughs> Can this old man really be doing this sure, territory? Sure. But yeah, I guess but if you really love that character, maybe you're willing to indulge it in a little bit. It does make me wonder, I guess, what's going to be the thing that brings Mike back in? Mm-hmm. to Gus's fold because right now he seems very much done with everything. whatever Gus had going. Literally everything. <laughs> yeah, like he's not even going into work with somebody else's name badge, right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and stirring shit up. No, he's he's very much still torn up about Werner. Yeah, and he's I think insulted by Gus's um, offer of a retainer mm-hmm. and the compensation that he gave over to, to Werner's wife. Just very cavalier about murder. Mm-hmm. I don't think i think mike is pretty anti-murder just in general but especially when it's a person who's just basically decent Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so it's really bugging him. Uh, but I think those scenes are kind of bugging me because I don't feel like they're very necessary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very small part of the episode. Um, but you probably could have held on to that for another episode when you were going to do something else with Mike. Like show us that and then show us the aftermath. But I don't know. That's just me. Uh, but the the Jimmy stuff is great. I mean, him doing his Saul thing in front of Hank. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. And and I got I have so many questions around like which which of these attempts or I guess like what part of this is Saul being Saul and doing his you know song and dance routine mm-hmm. and what part of it is him being an actual decent human being and going oh shit my plan didn't work and I need to get Crazy Eight off the hook. But we will talk about that when we get there. Uh, I think we should get right into the recap. Let's do it. So ants eat Saul's dropped ice cream for a few minutes. Did I mention, by the way, that Better Call Saul can be indulgent visually? Yeah, you know, it's we don't get to see it a lot, but it definitely can occasionally yeah. be a little indulgent. Every <laughs> once in a while. Just, yeah. Uh, I, I really like the scene, you know, having said how indulgent it is, <laughs> because it's multiple minutes of ants crawling on an ice cream cone. But portrayed in the most fucking dramatic fashion possible just very on brand yeah and they talk so much about this scene in the breaking bad insider podcast or sorry better call Saul insider podcast <laughs> this week uh which i listened to and i took a different thing away from this than they intended so their intention here was sort of the attraction of this world this underworld to jimmy and so jimmy is sort of the ants and the underworld mm-hmm. is sort of the ice cream and Jimmy's getting stuck in the ice cream uh, and he might just be able to climb to the top of that cone, but maybe he won't. Maybe he'll be one of the other ants who gets stuck and drowns in the ice cream. That was their intention. I very much took away this ice cream cone as representative of Jimmy's carefree lifestyle outside of the cartel Mm -hmm. and the ants swarming it are the cartel. Like the walls are closing in on him. Yeah, I... I think a lot of this episode is about perspective and the way people's actions can be perceived depending on where you're standing. Hmm. And I love, the thing that I loved the most about this particular scene was there was like this culmination of the music and Mm. the the climbing and like this fucking ant nirvana situation. Yeah. And then we pull back just a little bit and it's like, oh shit, this is an ice cream cone on the Grand on the ground covered in ants that's mm. disgusting so i had this moment of <laughs> look how beautiful this whole thing is and then oh right this is gross huh. going from ant world to human world yeah you can almost see that with jimmy's lifestyle mm-hmm. right it's like oh look how flashy and fun exactly. everything is yeah until that moment where you pull back and you go oh god jimmy's life is a mess the scene Jimmy's drowning in in fear <laughs> yeah he's sweaty just all the time <laughs> right sticky sticky sweat yeah. The ice cream was a sweat. Okay. That's the takeaway. All right. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that one, but <laughs> good point. When they come back to the to the ice cream cone, when, when Jimmy is dropped off again, or Saul, whatever you want to call him, at the exact same spot, mm-hmm. and he sees the ice cream cone himself, it's himself. It's almost as if he is thinking, oh, this thing that seemed so sweet yeah. has gone so terribly, terribly bad. Mm-hmm. And that's why I felt like it was the cartel, right? Because we... When he's not involved in the cartel and he thinks everything's going fine, he's got this ice cream cone, he's licking it, he's smiling. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets back, it's covered in ants and it's gone. That to me is a bad sign. I think they intended it as such. I was 
shocked to find out. I, I was watching the scene going, how did they do this? Is this CG? Because if it is, it looks damn good. It's real ants, right? It's real ants, yeah, apparently. Like they had an ant wrangler <laughs> that they brought in to film this scene and they Sorry. got super close up and they they filmed these ants and like they were having the hardest time getting the walk where they wanted and getting them to do the things they wanted. They had nine hours of ant footage at the end of this and cut it into this scene. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That ant wrangler was not one wearing a cowboy hat, two carrying the world's tiniest whip. I will be very, very disappointed. Ant whip. I've heard of bull whips, not ant whips. <laughs> it's just real small. It's the same thing. It's same like thing? a hair. It's like a hair that okay. you whip around. It's more like a tickle for us, but if you're an ant, it's a lot of pressure. Brutal. All right, we move on to Saul <laughs> wearing in Nacho's back seat as they drive to the Salamanca garage. Once there, Lalo tells Saul that they need Crazy Eight to say some very specific things to the cops, and they want Saul to relay the messages. Saul's reluctant, but money is no object for the cartel, so he accepts. Uh, I really forgot that these skater boys called uh, Tuco's grandmother Biznatch. <laughs> and when Lala said Biznatch, I was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> it's a hell I, of a callback, literally in like episode one. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, it's either episode one or episode two. I mm-hmm. can't remember, because like, I think Jimmy at the end of episode one shows up at the door. Gotcha, yeah. Of Tuco's grandmother. Um, and then episode two is dealing with that. But they aired on the same night. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, it's episode two. Long time ago. Like over six years ago, I think, at this point. But Lalo was impressed by his ability to talk himself out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what Jimmy does best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Saul does best. But I I really love the moment where he's super relieved to, to hear that they just have a legal problem. They yeah. need solve. Uh, I also really like the moment where he's trying to offer them cell phones to to talk to the crew. Yes, as if as if they don't know what a dead drop phone is, or not a dead drop oh, phone, burners, but a burner yeah. phone. Yeah, these, these guys have been using burner. They're they're so much more sophisticated than Saul. They're the fucking cartel. Are you kidding me? Granted, they're Salamancas, so they're not so, that sophisticated. Yeah, right? they're not. They're no Gus. Not even close. But, but they've been using burners for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but the, the term prison wallet always cracks me up. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Don't ask me how. All right, moving on. Mike does some heavy drinking alone at a bar where he, and, did you say, want to say anything else about the scene? Before they even show him in the shot, we know exactly who they've brought Jimmy to because he's fucking singing because of course he yeah. is. He's Lalo. Man, this scene is so beautifully crafted. It's wonderful. Every aspect of it. I mean, the, the acting in this show across the board is phenomenal, but mm-hmm. the way that they understand what the audience is going to be thinking and what they want the audience to feel in any given moment, yeah, it's just perfect. Because, yeah, I mean, that's the introduction to Lalo, right? Like, mm-hmm. every time now when I hear someone singing, it's Lalo. <laughs> Whether I can tell what they're singing or mm-hmm. really make out the voice or anything, it's just like, that's Lalo. Yep, just singing to himself mm-hmm. like a goob. I am so intrigued by his character because he is completely macho, right? Yeah. He is like the epitome of that kind of person. And I usually hate that kind of person. <laughs> I usually can't stand that sort of like super male The swagger. Bullshit. The, yeah. yeah. But like for Hank. some reason, like Hank, I was just about <laughs> to make that parallel. Yeah. he. For some reason, I, I love it in him. And I wonder if it's because he... He does the singing, he does the cooking, he does the, yeah. I'm sure, dancing. He seems like a man who probably dances. And he loves the superhero stuff. So, like, there's a romantic streak to him. Mm-hmm. 
which makes me like him a lot. And I wonder if it's having the same effect on straight men. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that Latin flair. It's irresistible. Lesbians. Yeah, no, he's he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So then we move on to Mike, who's doing some heavy drinking alone at a bar where he and Werner were drinking last season. And Mike demands that the bartender take down this postcard of the Sydney Opera House. Uh, and he very begrudgingly complies. Uh, and then on Mike's way home, he's menaced by some thugs. One of them punches him. So he punches back. He messes the guy up and the others leave. Mike can take a punch, I got to say. Holy shit, Mike can take a punch. Because that was not a light punch. It was not a light punch. And it did basically nothing to him. Maybe split his lip. Maybe. As a very old man, mm-hmm. I hope I can take a punch that well. <laughs> hope you I don't won't. need to. You won't be able to, one. And two, You're I right. very much hope You're you right. don't need to. Damn it. I won't be able to. Just don't be a boomer. You'll be okay. I'm already boomer. <laughs> I'm the world's youngest boomer. Okay, boomer. Uh, but yeah, this is typical Mike. He's dealing with his frustrations, I think, in the worst way possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does not handle emotion well. He does not handle grief or, I mean, look, I mean, Maddie, Maddie is the cause of all of the problems in Mike's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, you know, when that happened, it shut him down emotionally. Like right. Mike doesn't handle this shit well. I'm worried about Mike. And this is all we see of him in this episode. I, I do kind of think they should have like paired this up with more scenes because I don't know. I just, I want to know more about what Mike's going to do in the future uh, mm-hmm. other than, you know, get back in with Gus somehow. But man, he's in a real dark place and I don't feel very good leaving him there this episode. Yeah. Maybe that's intentional though. Maybe they don't yeah, want you to is. feel that great about his position. Damn you. <laughs> I, I want to blame Villigan, but I can't. Peter Gould. Damn you. I need a. <laughs> All right. Then Jimmy gets home and finds Kim drinking on the balcony and there is a lot of tension and unspoken animosity i guess as they ask each other how their day was uh this this scene is another brilliantly shot scene i love because i am a kim Mm -hmm. if i turn my head over there and i see this bottle sitting behind jim i will i will not be able to take my eyes off of it i'm 100 a kim i'm so worried about that bottle (laughs) anything you say to me i cannot be held accountable for because i won't remember it because all you're thinking about is that damn bottle yes yeah it's funny i I feel like I identify more as a Jimmy, mm-hmm. especially in this relationship. I'm maybe a little bit more of the chaotic one. Uh-huh. But even I, it yes, I, I had that tension in my chest the whole damn time. Yeah. The bottle was happening. And it's it's just beautifully bookended this this mm-hmm. episode with this scene and, and that final one. Up. I mean, the, yeah. it, you, they say nothing about how they're feeling. I mean, I don't even think there's dialogue in that last scene. There isn't. At all. Nope. But it says so much about what they're feeling. Uh, and this is kind of the setup for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Nacho is chilling at home with his girls and he busts out a puzzle to keep them from tearing <laughs> up his TV remote. Then his father shows up and he checks out Nacho's house, noting how big and new everything is. Then tells Nacho he got a very good offer to buy a shop, which he thinks Nacho was responsible for. And he tells Nacho that unlike him, he refuses to run from his problems. And then he promptly runs away from his <laughs> son's new house. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was, we'll, we'll talk, you know, a little bit about this scene in depth, but at first, the only thing I could notice is how long Nacho's father looks at this Vroom poster or Vroom uh, canvas painting photo. I don't know what it is. Printed canvas, Ikea, I think. Ikea printed canvas. Yeah. Yeah. It's because he likes it. 
He, he likes, likes it? Yeah, of course he likes cars. He was Come looking on. at the upholstery? <laughs> I don't know that he was looking at the upholstery, but if you do upholstery mm. specifically on cars, he you was, probably like cars. He was cars. thinking, what if I put this design on the back seat of an El Camino? He's thinking, what if I come back in four hours and everybody's drugged out of their minds and asleep mm-hmm. and steal this from my place? <laughs> I don't know that it would look quite as good in his place. I don't I've even know where place. you put it. I don't think he has a wall tall enough for it. No, he does not. That's a big, big canvas. Uh, but it does make me wonder, is there going to be some tie in here? Because especially with Lalo vrooming this episode around a mm-hmm. track and like, what does this represent to his father, the lifestyle that Nacho has chosen, and then the hard and fast lifestyle. Well, I mean, yeah, in a way, like, sure, he's not in the Fast and the Furious, but he <laughs> is inexorably linked to this cartel at this point. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing he can do about it. And, you know, with everything being so nice and new and having the big space that he can put the big painting in there. You got to wonder if maybe this is sort of representative to his father of like this lifestyle. He's in too deep now, probably to pull out. Yeah. To be saved, because his dad just keeps trying to. Nacho keeps trying to save his dad, and his dad keeps trying to save him. Right. We're in this really interesting gray area. Speaking of gray, this fool's entire house is gray. It is. This yeah. whole entire scene was gray. Welcome to modern design. It's a bit on the nose. Also, yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I got a question for you. Yes. Do you think Nacho made the offer? Yes. Why he's, do you think that? I'm, I'm curious. Because he's a bad liar. It's always <laughs> okay. in his eyes. Really? You think yeah. he'd be dead by now if he's a when bad he, liar? He's he's a bad liar, but he's earnest at the same time. And you, I think that you is You said what, this the other day when you were watching the episode. Yeah. In the poker scene, I think. I don't know if it was in the poker scene. It was in some other scene. But he has... I, I feel like this might be intentional. He has this tell where he, he blinks just a little bit too long when he is trying very hard to convince you of something. Hmm. Okay. And when his dad asks him to look him in the eyes, he struggles to do it. Yeah. So as vehement as his denial was initially, yeah, I think he did it, especially with the offer being too high. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, the offer is very generous, yeah. apparently. Um, and Nacho in this scene asks him, you going to work for the rest of your life, dad? Mm-hmm. You know, this could be your opportunity to get out scot-free. And then that would sort of get you off the hook with the cartel too. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, you know. just saying. That sounds like a lot of money and a good offer. Maybe only once in a lifetime, you know. <laughs> Maybe you should take it, dad. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's doing a lot of sort of gentle pushing in his direction mm-hmm. in this scene, which makes me think that you could be right. I think he's trying to look out for his dad. He just, he keeps, he keeps trying. Oh, yeah. All right, then we go to Kim defending someone in court. Uh, an associate of her tries to say, hey, there's a problem with the client, but she says now is not the time. And then her request to dismiss the case is denied. And Kim explains to the family that they'll have to go to trial, but she thinks they'll win if they do. Then Schweiker calls up to tell Kim that Mesa Verde needs her and she needs to get down there because it's more important than her public defending case. So this scene is just setting up all the stuff that's to come later, right? It's saying, hey, these two lifestyles, the one that she wants and the one that she has are sort of incompatible. And it's really, that point is going to be driven home in the scene with the old man mm-hmm. uh, later in this episode. Uh, she, she's she's just going to have her entire life, her, her entire character assassinated by this old man. Absolutely and, blown and apart. the trouble of it is it hits home because yeah. she knows there's a truth to it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, this is kind of just the setup. We'll talk more about it when we get there. It is. This is also the second time that she's blown off Mesa Verde for yeah. a pro bono client. Client. And she promised last time she'd never do it she again. She promised Paige that she would never do it again. Yeah. And she's already breaking that a mm-hmm. year later. And it seems like it has not been, it is not a huge problem in this instance, but mm-hmm. it is indicative of a pattern with her Yeah. that can't continue. It worked out this time, right? So maybe she can get away with it next time. Right. This right. is also emblematic, I think, of her character arc. Yeah. For the rest of the series, we'll see. I well, man, yeah, it's. I, I can't wait to talk about the final scene. Because <laughs> it could go either way. It really could. Uh, so then we go back to Saul, who tells Crazy Eight that he's his new lawyer, and slides him a notepad full of things he's supposed to say. A fucking manifesto, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of notes, and he's apparently good at memorizing. Uh, then Saul waits outside the jail as Hank and Gomi show up. Uh, by the way, everybody, Hank and Gomi are back. They are back. This is the episode. As soon as I saw that pink shirt getting out of that. Car. This is what I mean. Like when I talked, when you talked about Lalo, Mm -hmm. when when I mentioned that they're just so good at establishing these small characteristics that immediately tell you what you need to know, and then using them appropriately. This is that scene because when I saw that pink shirt, Mm -hmm. like Hank, Hank could have been in a yellow shirt or a pink shirt, and I would have known it was Hank with that gut, like (laughs) just the shape of D Norris. Like I'm not disparaging the man. I'm just saying he has a distinctive shape. Uh-huh. And when you pair it with the distinctive color, which Breaking Bad has been traditionally so good at, right? you immediately know everything you need to know. I, I don't know how I feel about this reintroduction. So I like Hank as a character. Oh, well, we, we should talk about that. What I'm not sure I liked is this talk about the expired food. Like this this banter didn't work really well for me. Hank didn't have like quite the same feel to him as he did in the pilot of Breaking Bad for instance yeah I think the lines may have been could have been written a little bit better I think so because it felt unnatural the flow of the conversation felt a little unnatural and and I wasn't quite getting like what what Hank was staring at Gomi about staring at him for whomst amongst us has not eaten an expired can of icing (laughs) maybe that's it maybe I'm just a gross trash person (laughs) and I can see nothing wrong with eating expired vanilla ice cream or vanilla icing together so moving on in this scene, like I said, they talk about expired food and then they go to interrogate Crazy Eight who wants to talk. But before we can spill too many of the beans, Saul shows up and he and Crazy Eight do this song and dance routine, which Hank immediately sniffs out. Uh, and then Jimmy, I, I can't tell if this is still part of the song and dance or if this is the the flip here where Jimmy needs to level with everybody and just get the thing that he came to get with a more honest approach. Uh, But he cuts a deal to make uh, Crazy Eight's release contingent on his info leading to arrest, and also he's going to get protection once he's out. And then Crazy Eight gives them a few dead drop locations. What's what's your feeling on that? Like, what Do you think that Jimmy here, or Saul, I should call him, is playing them the entire time, or is there a moment where it switches? I think when they are leaving the room, that is a moment of genuine desperation okay. from Saul. I think he realizes that he is going to have to push in a different way. But also, this is just this is what Saul does. It almost always goes bad a little bit, and <laughs> right. he has to improvise to make it work. Because uh-huh. so. when he's dealing with intelligent people yeah. and thinking people, his scams don't work as well. Like, <laughs> no. That's the thing about Jimmy. Yeah, his, his scams work on suckers who want to be conned, but right. like... Or people who are trying to get greedy, right? But mm-hmm. this this is not that. This is yeah. Hank has all the power in this situation. 
and Jimmy's trying to do this song and dance, and it's just not working. I think he was... I think maybe he was misunderstanding exactly what they wanted in the beginning of the scene, but then mm. when they go to leave, he's like, oh, I know exactly what they want. It might be a little bad for me once I get back to Lalo, but this yeah. is what it's going to take to make this work. So here, I will give you half of what you want at least. Yeah. And it is a dangerous game like you you pointed out. Who knows how Lalo's going to react to this? We saw Luckily, yeah. you know, Lalo kind of wants this to happen. Like this mm-hmm. is the best thing that could have happened in his opinion. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, Saul doesn't know that. We saw, we see Saul's face. It's the last shot of that scene kind of looking down like, oh, I hope I get to live yeah. for a few more days. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We find out how much meth Crazy 8 had on him. It was half an ounce, mm-hmm. which is apparently dealing weight. That doesn't seem like enough to deal. 10 little baggies is hardly a lot of drugs in my opinion. I think it depends on the strength of the drug in question. Um, I, I have served I mean, on a grand fools... jury before and that's definitely dealing weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me because like these fools who bought the drugs mm-hmm. had no intention to deal. They were just going to use it. Right. So like, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like if a normal person can afford to buy it uh, pretty easily in one mm-hmm. in one go that it can't really be considered dealing weight, but that's common sense and that doesn't have any place in law. So Yeah. Also, it was split up into separate bags, which didn't do them any favors yeah that's true uh and we have a lot more information about uh the legal aspects of some of the stuff this episode coming up from doug l our resident uh better call saul legal expert doug the superior doug the superior doug yeah we've been watching (laughs) mcmillions and boy there's doug in there uh there's a good moment too where hank you know saul goodman tells him his name and hank's just like really that's your name saul Saul goodman Goodman. (laughs) come on yeah, it's great. He also says he has a genius lawyer, or his lawyer is a genius. That's mm-hmm. going to be the excuse if they let Crazy Eight out. Yeah, seems <laughs> like a thin excuse. Uh, and also, Hank very specifically, when he turns around and he says, like after the offer to make this contingent is on the table, he says, arrests mm-hmm. at the end of that. I'm wondering if Crazy Eight doesn't get roped back into jail based on that like maybe they make a single arrest maybe gus gives up one person instead of multiple and somehow you know crazy eight doesn't get out because i don't know why but in my mind crazy eight has spent some time in prison Mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like he's going to under this deal that they're arranging because gus is not going to change the plan somebody is going to get arrested here my only thing i can think is that there's going to be some loophole that keeps him in there yeah, that probably would be the more interesting way to go. It's my initial assumption was just they have so many people on the ground that they could easily throw under the bus if they need to. Oh, yeah. And that's who they're just going to call, you know, the idiots who don't actually know anything and they will get tossed in prison. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see Crazy A getting off scot-free, though. That's fair. All right. And then Kim makes it out to Tucumcari, Carey where she is tasked with getting an old man to leave his home so they can build a call center. She fails, and in the process, the old man assassinates her character, which launches her into a blistering speech about accountability and the law. And once once that's over, Paige is pleased that she ended the matter, even if the old man thinks she didn't. Uh, this old man's great. This old this old man, uh, shit, I forget his name, but something Corbin, Bernard Corbin, maybe. Uh, he's 
been in so many movies that you've seen. I mean, he's been in No Country for Old Men. Uh, he's he's I haven't seen him in anything recently. It's been a few years, but mm-hmm. he's just in so many movies. I thought his face seemed vaguely familiar in that doughy old man way. Yeah. Um, he's he's a great actor, and man, when he's talking to Kim, I I feel his presence in this scene, even though he's a mm-hmm. hundred years old. He's like Mike <laughs> in that way, right? Like yeah. he's still he's still a very formidable presence, mm-hmm. uh, especially when he's saying, "Okay, I'm gonna spread my legs. Why don't you give me <laughs> just a swift kick in the balls to finish it off?" And he's grinning the whole time <laughs> because delivering that line must have been absolutely delightful. Oh, yes. I loved it. I loved it too. I love the performance. So fucking cantankerous. Yeah. Um, and I love the back and forth here. I think, mm-hmm. you know, they both have points. Like, they yes, do. this old man signed a contract that said all of these very specific things. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't want those things to happen, he shouldn't sign that contract. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I think that he's right about Kim and Kim knows he's right. And when he says these things about her character, how she's, you know, out there just taking advantage of, of little people who can't defend themselves and, and, and working for these big uh, corporations that just steamroll everything with their legal contracts. Uh, he's right. He's right. And it'll come even to more of a head in the next scene with him. There's definitely such a thing as predatory contracts. Mm-hmm. And that contract, if you did not read all the fine print, definitely fuck you over. And even if you did, maybe you didn't quite understand it. Because right. you don't have the resources at your disposal that a big corporation like Mesa Faraday does. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know exactly what's in that contract yep. and exactly what it means. And he might not. This is another scene that really drives home the point to me that Kim is lawful good. If we're going to talk in terms of D&D alignments, mm-hmm. she's lawful good, or at least she very much wants to be. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, there are rules that are established. Everybody follows those rules. And you... Mm-hmm. Nobody is special. Nobody gets to work around those rules. Yeah. Which is probably what drives her so crazy about Jimmy sometimes. That's the thing. As she's saying this, I'm thinking, and you're you're sharing your bed with a man who's doing exactly <laughs> yes. that at every opportunity. He's twisting every rule that he possibly can to right. get what he wants. Yeah. Okay. Then we go back to Saul uh, and Nacho watching Lalo go vroom around a track. <laughs> when he finishes, Saul reports that the feds are going to be onto the dead drop locations looking for arrests. And the crazy eight's going to be talked about as a snitch, but he's not, so don't worry. And then Saul tries to get out of any future work, but Lalo keeps him on the hook. And after Lalo leaves, Saul asks Nacho who he just set up. Nacho says he, he doesn't want to know because now you're in. You just, just you're in. You mm-hmm. know, can't get out. And then when he's dropped off, Saul sees the ice cream he dropped being eaten by ants. And it's all very sad. Yes. Uh, on first watch, I did not pick up the obvious in this scene, even though there's a camera shot, a uh, camera angle that tells you everything you need to know. It's when Jimmy, Saul, whatever is talking about, you got a rat and Hey, even if he is a rat, he's your rat mm-hmm. and the camera cuts to Nacho. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, duh. Of course. He's talking about a rat right in front of Nacho. Like yeah. Nacho does not want that the idea of a rat floating around out there. Even the the whiff of the idea of no. a rat. Yeah. It just it makes people suspicious. It it puts people on alert and he needs exactly the opposite of that right now. Mhm. So it, it's well constructed. You know, you've got you've got the situation where Lalo has two rats now. Lalo has one rat he knows of, one rat he doesn't. One rat that's working for him, one rat that's working for Gus. And surrounded by rats, this man. 
He is, yeah. He's like an ice cream cone with a rat problem. Gross. Something something pizza rat. Rats love ice cream too, right? Rats love everything, I think. <laughs> that's everything true. that's free and good. Yeah. Just like criminals, I guess. This is what Lala was working on, apparently, in the first scene. He was replacing his carburetor, mm-hmm. which must That's be a the thing, thing cars used to have. Still have, I think. Mm, it's been a while. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. I wouldn't know. I drive a golf cart, so. I guess I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> I changed my, my window uppy downy motor one time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering why he changed that out, if it's just because he is a car enthusiast or mm-hmm. because he thinks he's going to need that extra boost later on in the season. They're trying to keep up with Mike. <laughs> driving through parking lots and yep. he's gonna have a few cars to ram out of the way he thinks he's gonna have to chase somebody or he's gonna have to run who knows he's fucking with gus yeah. so like he might need to run at some point that's definitely a possibility definitely also the dea is involved now like yeah he's, he's got to know that there's going to be a bigger spotlight on the salamanca operation at the moment yeah so then we're back with kim she is catching up on her pd cases as she drives home and one of her clients didn't show uh kim says hey find out where he's at so she pulls her car over and does something. I don't know. She sits there for a second thinking. And then the next time we see her, she's pulling up to the old man's house uh, later that night. And she shows him some houses that she found in his price range that he might like. And he doesn't respond. So she tells him about her childhood uh, being underhoused and homeless half the time. And he tells her that she'll say anything to get what she wants and closes the door in her face. I had a little bit of a struggle at first on my first watch mm-hmm. whether or not I believed that she was actually that the story was actually true or if she was trying to pull a Jimmy yeah I mean this is the number one question I had coming out of it but on my second watch it felt it felt more sincere to me okay yeah uh, that's ultimately where I came down on it I think this opening up this this personal vulnerability here in this scene leads to the next scene like yeah. you you can't have one without the other exactly um because she bears her soul to this man, hoping that being honest with him and leveling with him and being a human being with him for a second will smooth this over. And when that fails, when when he tells her, he calls her a liar, says, mm-hmm. I don't believe you. Um, I think that drives her to say, well, if that's the response I get when I do this, why am I doing it? Yeah, what's the fucking point if you're just going to hate me anyway? And I'm not even sure that this is something that she's ever told Jimmy. Like, I, I don't get the impression that they speak a lot about their pasts, right? Like, hmm. I don't think Jimmy has told her much about his past. You don't think so? I think she knows a lot about him. I think Jimmy is a pretty open book with Pre-mailroom? her. Pre-mailroom? Yeah. Hmm. What gives you that impression? Because I've never, I've never considered that. Because these little cons that he pulls with her sometimes, they don't surprise her at all. She she doesn't seem actually all that surprised by that part of his nature. Well, she's known him for a long time too. Yeah, like she's known him for many years at this point. Um, they worked in the mailroom together. They eventually. You, you think she doesn't know that he shit in a sunroof one time? Yeah, I'm not sure she knows about that. Interesting. Okay. I don't know. What if I told you I shit in a sunroof? <laughs> would we still be married? <laughs> I would need so much context. <laughs> right. I trust that you had that you would have a good reason for it, uh-huh. and that it wasn't just. A Taco Bell visit gone horribly <laughs> wrong. <laughs> what if I told you it was my own sunroof? Well, that's fine. Okay. It's your own car. You can shit where you want, I guess. 
Huh? Is that the line I'm drawing? Yeah, I guess that's a hill I'm dying on. C- cool, cool. Yeah, life. I, I don't know. I never got the. I never got the impression that, that was the case. I do. I am willing to go along with you though that maybe she hasn't told him mm-hmm. all that much. She definitely seems like she's fighting to hold her dignity, basically yeah. every time we see her, and uh-huh. that could very much be a byproduct of a very bad childhood. Yeah, I think so. The other thing that I couldn't help but note about this line uh, where he says, you'll say anything to get what you want, won't you? Mm-hmm. That's effectively saying, it's calling her Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Which at this moment, I think is a very, uh, as much of an assassination of her character as the previous scene with these two was, this maybe is a bigger indictment because like she has always tried to be, like I mentioned earlier, the moral compass for Jimmy. You know, much in the the same way that Chuck was for a long time until they just turned enemies. Right. Um, And so this guy telling her, essentially saying, like, you're doing the same thing. Is it has to affect her and it does affect her and we see in the next scene. Yeah, you're going you're trying to go about this in maybe a nicer way, a way that is slightly more beneficial to both parties. But at the end of the day, you are still trying to kick this guy out of his house for a bank. For a call center for a yeah. bank. I mean, this is this is the thing. The bullshit line that Kim has always walked. She yeah. said, like, let's use our powers for good. Mm-hmm. And that has not been the case, I don't think. Not I, with Mesa Verde, certainly. No, and not not going out and scamming random people in a bar. Yeah. Uh, and then calling up Jimmy and saying, hey, come over here. I got a fish on the hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Huel, I, I don't necessarily think that was for good. Like, yeah, the, she couldn't have known that it was for good, really. Like yeah. she's taking Jimmy's word for it. And at that point, how much is Jimmy's word worth? Because as I said, like he'll say anything to get what he wants. Right. Uh, I, I just, I get this impression from Kim that like she is walking this dangerous line and fooling herself at the same time. She's thinking my powers, I can wield these powers better than Jimmy can. I can walk this line forever. Yeah. And I just don't see it. I don't see it either. And here, even when it's sanctioned by the government, even when she is absolutely legally correct, she's doing things that are so opposed to her philosophy. Like she wants to help people and this Mm -hmm. is a guy that needs help and she's doing the exact opposite. Yep. And and you can't ignore the fact that she was pulled from her PD cases for the day. Like she was super excited. This is the first day I've got that I've got all PD cases. Mm -hmm. I've got no Mesa Verde to work on at all. Suddenly she's working on Mesa Verde and she's kicking this poor old man out of his house that he thought he had leased for a hundred years. He thought he was going to die in. Right. It's literally the opposite. Exactly. Every way. Yeah. So those two worlds colliding in a really fantastic way here. I will also say just from a personal standpoint, uh, a woman coming to a man's house in the middle of nowhere at night. And and this dude definitely, I, I get strong. I get big gun energy from this guy. Okay. Like he probably has a gun in his house somewhere. Yeah. So just the fact that she is putting herself in this situation so desperately, trying mm-hmm. to do the right thing, like we talked about, even though it's not the right thing, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's real bad. Uh, we have a quick interlude to Nacho before we get back to Saul and Kim. Uh, but Nacho tells Gus what happened with Crazy 8 and the DEA, and Gus decides not to tip his hand to the DEA, leaving the money in the dead drops for them to find. On first watch... I didn't think the scene was as good as I did on second watch. And that's almost always the case with Better Call Saul. 
there's mm-hmm. so much going on. So much subtext. In the margins, so yeah. much subtext. Um, this is super interesting because you sort of have two, you have the devil and the angel, or I guess like Nacho and Tyrus are representative of the choice that Gus has to make here mm-hmm. on what to do. And one of them is espousing one thing, hey, let's shut this operation down, let's save the money, let's not get arrested. But that tips the hand. Nacho is saying, hey, let's keep everything where it is uh, because that doesn't tip our hand and Lala won't know that we know and we can have time to plan and we can come up with a, a real strategy for this thing. Right. At the same time, Gus knows that Nacho is a Salamanca, right? Mm-hmm. How does Lalo know where Gus's dead drops are? If I'm Gus, I'm wondering who, how he got that information, who might have given it to him. Could I have a double agent on my hands? He, I mean, he's absolutely pissed in this scene. He seems like he is almost over it with Nacho and just this whole Salamanca bullshit. Yeah. And there's a really long look at Nacho, like a suspicious, not just pondering, like, is Nacho's suggestion the right one, but is Nacho trying to push me in a direction from Gus? And I, I Gus is such a smart character. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have any history with him in Breaking Bad, you know this, that he will be able to sniff out those those opportunities that people are taking around the edges. And I think... He's got to be questioning the loyalty of Nacho at this point, because is Nacho is not uh, in his operation. We can't forget that Nacho. Yes, he's working for Gus, but he's doing so at the threat of death. Right. You know, it's not it's not something he's willingly doing. Mm-hmm. So at any time, he could stab him in the back if he thinks there's an opportunity to do so. Absolutely. This is also the second time in as many episodes where, when Nacho meets with Gus, he refuses to look at him at first. Uh huh. And that is, that's a big Gus thing. Yeah. That is a huge sign of... Look at me. (laughs) No, it's a huge sign of disrespect. (laughs) So now that Gus knows what's up, who does he send? So you know how there are burner cell phones? Mm -hmm. I think there are probably burner drug dealers too. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's who he's going to send. People Uh who don't know anything about the higher levels of the operation. People who are just on the ground, feet on the ground, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they tend to keep that separation. The people, like that's the whole point of the dead drop, yeah, is mm-hmm. to keep people from seeing other people's faces to know who they're dealing with. Exactly. So you got to limit exposure um, of your organization. A lot of people are speculating he sends Tyrus because Tyrus isn't in the first few seasons of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he comes in after Box Cutter, which is the first episode in in season four. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could be Tyrus. Tyrus could go away and then come back later. It's it's a little. Um, he doesn't get much uh, pomp and circumstance when he does come back in Breaking Bad because he's kind of just a new character they're introducing there, and I don't don't think they ever thought they were going to do anything with him. Right. So there's not like this big return, right? Like mm-hmm. like there is with Hank. This whole thing is just ass backwards when it comes to big characters returning. Well, that's the problem when you make a thing and then you make a prequel for the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You'll always run into that problem. So it would feel like, oh, okay, well, Tyrus got short shrift when he just shows up later in season four, Breaking Bad, and there's no explanation. Just who are they going to Who are they going to fridge, basically? Yeah. Who are they going to fridge in the frosty, frosty dungeon of prison? I, I also didn't realize in the first viewing of this scene 
that this is Lalo fucking with the cash flow of Gus. Like, it, <laughs> you know, it was just last episode and ding, ding, ding. And yeah. you realize, oh, yeah, it's such a beautiful scene where he doesn't even have to say what he's doing. And he he doesn't say it and I forgot it. And so here I am, second watch going, oh, shit, of course. This is the way to disrupt the cash flow of Gus. And this makes me wonder, again, I, I kind of speculated on this the last episode, was that the whole downspout issue mm-hmm. was that set up and if it was was it lalo to eventually cause this to happen where he could give the dead drops to somebody who could give them to the cops or the dea or whoever i think this is more or a is case that too much? of lalo seizing upon an opportunity turning a, yeah. a loss into an opportunity um because so, he didn't really seem like he was in on the the drugs in the drain pipe thing it's almost more impressive to me yeah. he's able to think that quickly on his feet. He was, yeah. He's a cat um, man. Cat man surrounded by rats. <laughs> Sexy cat man. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Uh, and then we go back to Kim getting home to find Jimmy on the balcony this time. And he hands her a beer. Then Jimmy tempts fate by dropping and catching his beer bottle a few times, mm-hmm. which would have just absolutely driven Kim up a wall at the beginning of this episode. But... Kim instead chucks her beer off the balcony, throwing caution to the wind, letting the rest of the six-pack fly, and then running inside when someone hears him. This is such a good bookend. Um, it shows just like how big of a change there was this episode. And, you know, Better Call Saul does this. It flip-flops. It's mm-hmm. like growth and then reverting to the norm and growth and reverting to the norm. And, and characters eventually head somewhere. And it feels very realistic in that way that like characters don't just have an experience and boom there's someone else right there's always a push and pull yeah they they might it might be boom they want to be someone else boom they go do a bunch of crazy shit that makes them look like someone else but eventually their true nature comes back into play once that wears off and i gotta i gotta question how many times will kim fall into this pattern and sort of fail to recognize it because Mm -hmm. she's a very smart person she has to understand and you know even smart people can fall into bad habits um but she's got to know that this is something that she shouldn't be playing with, and yet it's very attractive to her. And in the moments where she feels worst, that's kind of what she runs to. At the end of the day, Jimmy is the one thing that remains familiar in her life. It doesn't seem like she yeah. has family anymore. If she does, we don't see them ever. She never talks about mm. them, except for that one time in this episode. Blue toes and all that. <laughs> right she doesn't seem to have any friends mm-hmm. that we can tell she has business Paige associates is like the closest thing yeah, but, even but then... she's beholden to her so yeah that dynamic is fucked mm-hmm. you can't actually be friends with a person like that so i do think jimmy is what she sort of has to fall back to if yeah. she wants to fall back to anybody that's a good point like if she jettisons jimmy from her life what, what is her have? life yeah exactly her life is work and mm-hmm. She, I think, I, I think that was a less attractive prospect back when she was hustling and, and working to, you know, either working at HHM mm-hmm. on big cases or hustling to try and make her own thing happen with right. her law firm. Now that she's with Mesa Verde and things have settled down, she's gotten through the growth period, she's able to do some of these public defense cases that she actually does want to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, her life being her career is not such a terrible thing. But at the same time, she's struggling with that half of it that is not helping people. I don't want to say harming people necessarily, but it's not helping people. 
it's not doing the thing she actually wanted to do with her career. Right. So yeah, if she jettisons Jimmy, which I I think has to happen. I really think it has to happen. In Kim is too good, yeah. too smart, too observant to not realize the detrimental effect Jimmy is having on her life. And the detrimental effect that in some ways she has on his life too. I mean, she's known she's, she's known who he is for years. Yeah. He's been, this hasn't been, he didn't suddenly become Saul Goodman, technically in name. Yes, he did in this season. Yeah, but he's always been Slippin' but Jimmy. But he's always been Slippin' Jimmy, mm-hmm. and she's known that about him, and she's stayed with him anyway. Yeah. I think there's maybe not an equal amount of blame to spread around, but definitely there's blame <laughs> on both sides. There's so much blame. They're enabling each other. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just wonder when that will end. And we're, you know, we talked about this a little bit in previous episode, but we're approaching the end of this series. We've got a season and a little over half left. Mm -hmm. So when do the wheels fall off of this thing? I snuck a peek at the episode titles for the rest of the season. I won't say anything, but I will say that one of them seems like bait to me. Okay. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No, I haven't seen them. Okay. I try not to engage in that stuff because it will drive me insane. I've done it on shows before. <laughs> I haven't looked up anything about it. I just, I happened to glance while I was on Wikipedia yesterday. Ah. I cursed myself with a knowledge that is probably, it can't be as straightforward as I think it is. Mm-hmm. And if you out there listening, you probably know what I'm talking it about. It's episode Kim's six. Kim's dead. Kim dies a horrible death no, at the but hands it is, of Gus. There's a V in it. I'll say that. It's somebody V somebody. So that's interesting, but also I'm thinking of that Kim versus Kim. the Mad Max gif. Nope, that's bait. You will not trick me. That is bait. <laughs> <laughs> I will wait and see how that goes. Uh, it, it was interesting to me too that this scene kind of doesn't happen without Jimmy's side of it, and Jimmy's side of it is he noticed her noticing that bottle the he first did. time they did this, and this time he's like teasing he's her, at her, but here. not really teasing. Yeah, I I don't know what Jimmy is doing here because a lot of the times when Jimmy comes at Kim like this, mm-hmm. he's trying to cheer her up. He's trying to lighten the mood. He's trying to make things more fun. Yeah. This feels a little mean-spirited, actually. It did. I thought that, too. And I don't, I don't know why Kim doesn't see it that way. Or maybe she does and she's ignoring it, like we've said before. Yeah, but when she throws those beer bottles and starts chucking them, she's... She's literally throwing caution. If beer bottles are caution, she's throwing them to the wind and probably going to come out the other side of this scene more on the Jimmy uh, platform, right? Like going around scamming, hey, let's have some fun. Let's do these crazy things because I, I feel like shit for what I've had to do today. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why she's so cavalier. Or not, cavalier is not the word. Nonchalant uh, at Jimmy's poking and prodding. She doesn't respond to it the way I thought she would. That's interesting. I I felt a little bit differently about that. Him provoking her in the way that he's doing, I think Mm -hmm. she knows what he's doing and she is one-upping him. Like, you think you can poke me today? I have had a fucking day. Bottle chuck. Like, no, we're not playing this game right now. I'm just going to do a crazy thing to end this conversation, to end this awkward moment that we're having and we're going to run inside giggling like fucking idiots. I feel you. That that makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, it's just not, I guess, the way she's reacted in the past to yeah. this kind of poke. No, she's had a day for sure. Yeah, she she had to yell at somebody. She kind of got yelled at. Mm-hmm. She got attacked on a very core personal level. 
R.I.P. the tires of anybody who is half awake going to work the next morning. Also, uh-huh. uh, dogs and their delicate little paws mm-hmm. walking through that parking lot. Barefoot meth addicts. Yeah. If you're going to do that shit, at least sweep up after. Also, a waste of beer. What are you doing? Yeah, an enormous waste of beer. I'm sure they're both lawyers. They got more beer in the fridge. They got more beer in the Doug L, they got more beer in the fridge, right? <laughs> they got it. I buy 12 at a time. I don't know if they do. <laughs> Speaking of Doug L, that's the end of the episode, and we're ready for the feedback section. Yes. Unless you've got any other comments. I do not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's move on. I kind of stuck to mostly things that happened this episode because Doug L actually did write in and he had a big long description about, you know, what time Crazy A could be looking at and what the laws in New Mexico might be and guidelines around it. But like that was last episode. We are pretty sure that he's going to get off as a confidential informant. So that might not even come to pass we'll maybe talk about it later uh if he gets charged with anything Mm -hmm. uh so gavin starts off and he talks about last episode uh said i wanted to ask where you thought gene's scenes fall on the timeline in relation to saul and later walt being picked up by the vacuum repairman they made a choice to set his scenes in winter and when walt gets picked up by a vacuum repairman shortly after saul but we don't know how long he's in the cabin we do know he gets at least two chemo treatments because vacuum repairman, who I'm just going to call Ed from now on because that's his name, apologizes for not being able to find the vein uh, the last time. And we know that Ed only comes once a month. So we're at least two months from when Saul has moved. Here's the thing. I thought we were maybe a few months to a year out from Breaking Bad when I saw these gene scenes at first. But then you pointed something out to me that I... I Took me back and I said, oh, shit, actually, it's been a lot longer than that. They are clearly trying to age him. I think they're really, to me, at least drawing focus to his his poor old receding hairline. Right. I don't know. Listen, I don't know how fast that actually happens, <laughs> but it seems like a big change. From... And it's not just receding, right? It's like thinning, too. Yeah. It's like, And it could be stress, and that's, mm-hmm. that stuff can ha- fa- happen fast, right? Maybe he has sure. cancer. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it could be a second <laughs> cancer situation. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's going to need Ed to deliver some chemo to him. But you're right. His hair is so different mm-hmm. uh, that it makes me think it's been a few years at least, at the very, very least, and probably more like five plus years. I think there's almost zero chance that Walt is still out there. Yeah. All right, and then speaking of Doug L, Doug L comes in with some legal issues from this week's episode that popped up that he thought might be worth commenting on. First is attorney-client privilege, which is uh, leaned on in a lot of episodes, actually. Mm-hmm. He says, Lalo's play is to have Crazy A become a confidential informant to the DEA with Saul delivering the script to him because their communications are supposedly privileged. They may not be because of something called the crime fraud exception. The privilege normally protects any communication between attorney and client which are related to the representation. For obvious reasons, however, if the attorney is a co-conspirator, or using the supposed cover of the relationship to perpetrate a crime, the privilege does not apply. 
So far, there isn't an issue because Crazy Eight is seeking leniency based on cooperation by providing what appears to be accurate information about dead drop locations. As such, no crime is being committed by Saul or anyone else. The second, however, that this information pipeline is used for a criminal purpose, that could change. That uh, is a very fair point. I did not know that. It's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that there were actually exceptions because every TV show uses attorney-client <laughs> privilege in every <laughs> situation. Yeah. Uh, they, they just throw that out there as like, oh, yep, that's a thing, and mm-hmm. there are no exceptions. Uh, so I didn't know that either. Good to know. Uh, and, you know, we always talk about in Better Call Saul how much any of these things are going to come into play. And I think they've actually done a really good job of observing the law in this show. You know, mm-hmm. they, they color in around the lines and they sort of fudge things occasionally. I think Doug points those out when that happens. But they also are able to squeeze a lot of drama out of fine legal uh, distinctions. Right. If you know that that distinction exists, then maybe you are a little bit more nervous about this whole thing. You aren't as secure Right, I, plan. I think back like to the original, um, the instigating thing for Saul's $1.2 million payout with this nursing home or assisted living facility mm-hmm. where he's writing on toilet paper and he's <laughs> like, this is a legal contract. Like you're being served or whatever. It's like they do, they do lean into the law when it fits. Um, so I could see some of this stuff coming back where like Hank, you know, gets a little more information than Saul thought he might have. Right, and this could very much be intentional for all we know. Yeah. Um, so the second aspect of the the legal stuff in this episode is adverse possession. And you know, Doug says, Kim attempts to, in various ways, secure land for Mesa Verde by getting an elderly gentleman to leave his house. He's so kind to this guy saying gentleman. I just call this guy an old fucker. <laughs> <laughs> he, might be a, he might be a fine old fucker, but a gentleman? Hmm. Maybe he's nice to his friends. Maybe. Does he have any? He lives in the middle of a well, they soon-to-be-built moved away. call center. They moved away. There used to be people there, but as he Kim pointed out. He lives behind a out, full height fence. That's, that's a fair point. I think he's boxed everyone out of his world at this point. Oh, that sounds so peaceful. doesn't even have an animal. He, he's an oh, old yeah. man without an animal. What the fuck is happening? Weird. I can't believe that character. <laughs> Maybe there's a cat in the house. He wouldn't get a cat. No, he he'd have a dog. strike me as a cat person. Definitely a dog. Uh, Anyway, he continues, Kim correctly points out that he is only renting this property, that the owner has sold it to Mesa Verde, and that since Mesa Verde wants him gone, he has no legal right to stay. It comes out that he has unsuccessfully argued that the land is his adverse possession. I figured it might be worth explaining what that is. If you acquire property that does not rightly belong to you, you don't have to steal it, this could be unintentional, and the acquisition goes unchallenged, it becomes yours. However, the period is usually very long. It's 10 years in New Mexico. Normally, this comes up in cases where someone builds something that goes over the neighbor's property line by a few inches, and the trespass goes unnoticed. Uh, It's highly unlikely that the renter in this episode has been squatting on this land without paying rent unnoticed by Mm -hmm. the owner for 10 years. Yeah. Anyway, those are just two things that jumped out of me for this episode. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I I think Kim would certainly, if there's any character that's going to understand the distinction here, the the legal, the finer points of the law, Mm -hmm. it's Kim. Absolutely. She's going to have done her research. um, And if she hasn't, her associates will have. uh, I I don't see her overlooking that. So Mm -hmm. clearly he's in the wrong here. Legally, yeah. Legally, yeah. And then we move on to Jason, 
who says, I wanted to write in to let you know a few things. I was fortunate enough to be able to attend the season premiere party slash viewing that AMC had here in LA. A couple of things. They filmed that scene with Robert Forrester uh, at the same time that they were shooting El Camino. Uh, as setting up the vacuum shop would have been way too expensive for just the gene scene. And they planned ahead and said, since we're shooting him anyway, why not? So it's really all him, no CGI or old footage. Also, his family attended the premiere. They did a really nice recognition of him uh, at the event. And his appearance was cleared by him before he died. So his family was very happy and supportive of it as well. Uh, it was actually really nice and touching that they had them at the premiere and how they honored them. I think so, too. Yeah, I I remember talking about that. I was not implying that there was some shady stuff happening oh, with no. his appearance. I, I think just we were meant, just wondering. Yeah, I was kind of spinning the conversation out to the ethics of that in general with people who have not gone to all these links to clear the appearance beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And the Breaking Bad crew and staff is always so good about this stuff. They're I respectful. Mean, they're, they're extremely respectful. Like, you look back at... Walter White's house. There, there are people who own the White House, real people, mm-hmm. um, and they get a lot of visitors coming by, as you'd imagine. And every time I've heard the Breaking Bad crew talk about that, they just say how, you know, please leave these people. Like, please respect these people. This is where they live. It's their home. Like, stop throwing pizzas on the roof. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's shit you shouldn't have to say. But, but like stuff people are that, people. yeah, yeah, they, that shows that they care about the the locations and the people that they, they work with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, the, I can't imagine a better crew. <laughs> like every time I hear them talking about the the craft of making this thing and how much fun and how much they love the people they work with, I, I don't hear that as much out of other places. And it might just be because there aren't so many podcasts that do what they do uh, on the Insider Podcast, but. I get the feeling that this crew really loves working with each other and really loves, you know, that that attention to detail and that respect that everyone has for everything. Absolutely. So, yeah. And that was extended to Robert Forrester. And I think it was warranted. I mean, he's a very well-respected actor, um, has been for many, many years. I, I recently just watched Jackie Brown like two years ago. Hmm. And he's fantastic in that. Jason also wanted to say, I think Vince Gilligan does a lot with the 50% off symbolism from last episode, and he's done it before. Uh, Season 5, episode 4, Breaking Bad is called 51, which is a nod at Walter being 51% Heisenberg. This episode, it's not hard to see that Jimmy is now 50% off of Saul. Also, the poor garden gnome (laughs) who lost 50% of his face could be foreshadowed at Gus's ultimate demise. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That could have been a Gus reference. But, okay, let's talk about... Saul, the, the reason I read this is because I want to talk about Saul being 50% Jimmy, 50% Saul. Mm-hmm. I can see I can see why people would feel that, um, given that Jimmy in his personal life with Kim is still Jimmy. But I'm feeling Jimmy as being 100% Saul now. Like, he's he said, <laughs> literally, he has said to Kim, you are holding me back from being the thing I want to be. Mm-hmm. And now he's legally Saul Goodman. On You can go to the courthouse. You can check the records. It's there. I feel like Saul is 100% Saul now. The 50% is literally just the scenes that he's in with Kim. Mm-hmm. Those are the times that he is still Jimmy. And in Breaking Bad, we don't see any of those scenes. So, yeah, he's 100% Saul. We don't know 
what he's like outside of his practice either in Breaking Bad because we don't really no, see we don't. him just at home chilling or whatever. <laughs> no. But but even in those scenes with Kim where he's saying like all the Jimmy things. Mm-hmm. It's wearing the on things, him. The, the relationship is completely different than it was a few seasons ago. It is. Yeah, a few seasons ago, they were in a, a mutual relationship. Mm-hmm. Here, I don't feel like there's a relationship anymore. I feel like this is momentum carrying out its natural course. And once either of them doesn't need the other or feels like the other is doing more harm than good, this relationship is over. Because they're not they're not doing things together and they're not talking. They're not having fun. That's the biggest they're simply thing. They're living not talking. Together. Yeah. They're just co cohabitating. Right. Essentially. Yeah, it's it's not a relationship anymore. And so I don't view that relationship as part of Jimmy's life. I view that as like a vestigial part of who Saul used to be. Like it's it's not the same character anymore. And that relationship is is non existent in my opinion. It's it's weird and contentious and every scene that they're in together now, it's this dance. Mm-hmm. It's always this dance. Yeah. Who's gonna break first, basically. It's gotta be Kim. I don't think J- Jimmy, Saul, whoever is ever gonna let this thing go. I wonder if he's just gonna walk away from her first. You think so? Just Maybe. say I don't need this anymore. I'm, I'm Saul Goodman. I mean, he's the one who is, especially in that last scene where he is half dropping that bottle off the edge, and you you said it yourself. It seemed a little mean spirited. Yeah, I he's the one who is being a little bit more mean in the relationship. Yeah, that usually you're right. I don't know if Kim is going to get fed up with it fast enough. I don't know. I it have could, no it idea. It could be that Saul sees the danger he's in and pushes Kimmy out intentionally. That's a possibility. Yeah, I didn't consider that. Um, he is in pretty deep. One way or another, I can't see them lasting through the end of this series. No, definitely not the end of the series. I wonder if the end of this season. They're already so desperately clinging to any sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. You think they're going to buy that house? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, all right, let's move on to a couple of emails from this week, and we're going to call it quits here. Uh, Josh has an email about Saul's first appearance in Breaking Bad, where he confessed it wasn't me, it was Ignacio. Uh, he's the one. Lalo didn't send you. What, what's going on here? Uh, he says, in 503, a better call Saul. We finally see the first meeting of Saul and Lalo. My question is this, is it too early to speculate on what exactly Saul is talking about in his first Breaking Bad appearance? Probably, but here's one potential, albeit vague, possibility. Lalo really gets out of hand, much like Tuco, and Nacho somehow enlists the services of Saul to deal with it, or to put Lalo away, much like he enlisted Mike to put Tuco away. Perhaps things don't go as planned and Nacho has to use his disappearer to escape. For all we know, that's where Nacho got his Canadian passports from. Uh... I, I don't have any direct comments on the theory, but I don't think it's too early to speculate because I think a lot of what Saul says gives away a lot about the state of things, at least in Saul's mind. Because if he says Ignacio was a one, he's referring to him being a mole. Mm-hmm. Um, and asking if Lalo sent you implies that at least Saul thinks Lalo is still alive. Right. So th- there's a there's an idea here that they never found out in Saul's mind that Nacho was a mole, mm-hmm. um, and the and that makes me think that 
however this goes, Nacho is going to be okay. Unless the, the only opportunity for that not to be true, in my opinion, is if Nacho is killed without Saul's knowledge. Uh, and then finally, Jesse says, I really enjoyed the final scene of this week's episode. I specifically enjoyed Saul cracking open the <laughs> bottle and handing it to Kim. It really juxtaposed the roles from earlier in the episode when Saul was a bit down on himself for helping Lalo with Kim being down on herself for the role in evicting Mr. Boomer. <laughs> uh, we're really starting to get it's Acker. We all know he's making a joke. Uh, we're really starting to get an even deeper understanding of what it makes Saul and Kim tick. They're such a tragic pair. Yeah, man. I I don't see good things for them in the future. And they, they I can't stress enough how good this show is at taking those small moments saying absolutely nothing uh, from the characters' mouths, but making you understand exactly what they're thinking. And giving them so much weight. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is just another example of that that kind of storytelling mm-hmm. that is, is, you know, employed in television, but never as frequently and never as... Uh, I, well, I don't want to say never quite as well, but definitely never as frequently. Better Call Saul seems to take that storytelling to the its final conclusion uh, and just that's what Better Call Saul is. And most of the time that works. In much the way that Jimmy or Saul works by building trust in people. Mm-hmm. That is what the writers of the show do for us. Yeah. we You have to trust them. And if you trust them and look beyond maybe the surface level of things, you'll kind of see what's happening. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to do a rewatch and see a lot of subtext that you mix missed the first time. Yeah. Which is a lot of fun. And they had the director of this episode, I think, um, on the episode of this week's uh, Better Call Saul Insider. So Michael Morris. Yeah, he talks at length about his process um, and how he goes about thinking about a scene and shooting a scene. And he's done a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's prolific. Uh, Bloodline, Kingdom, Halt and Catch Fire, Preacher, mm-hmm. which I love. I love Preacher. House of Cards. He's directed some episodes. Fire. Nice. Uh, yeah, he he talks at length about his process, and it's fascinating in this podcast. So go <laughs> go check that. out. I really couldn't recommend. Well, I could recommend the Insider Podcast higher. There wasn't a lot of back padding, but right. uh, there's also some really really good stuff in there that you just can't get anywhere else. Uh, so go check if, that out. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if there is a discussion to be had about trust in TV writing. The type of trust that the act or the writers of this show expect from you is. It's a little bit different than, say, Westworld, which is about to come up. Uh It's the difference between giving you the clues for things if you look close enough versus deliberately trying to trick you. Yeah. And one of those things, the second one specifically, when it goes bad or when it doesn't work, it fails so much more spectacularly than the first time. Because at least with the first kind of trust, you can go back and watch the episode again and find that subtext. Mm-hmm. where if the second one fails, then you just have to fucking declare fan bankruptcy. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, <laughs> we're so we've got our Westworld, Aaron and I are covering Westworld in like a week. We're going to come back with our preview podcast. I've been doing a rewatch and really appreciating that first season. Mm-hmm. I haven't got to the second season yet. Uh, we were harsher on the second season for that exact reason. The puzzle box there did not work. Yeah. And we felt like that trust was betrayed a little bit. This show, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. It's, it's not, it's not the same type of thing. It is mm-hmm. a level of trust, but you're not 
it, it almost feels less adversarial. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like they're guiding you through a scene. It's it's the language of the filmmaking, um, the things that they don't say, mm-hmm. the the looks on their faces are all telling you what you should really be thinking in any given scene and what they're thinking without dialogue or even in sometimes in opposition to the dialogue. It's just they they have an immense amount of faith in their audience as well, right? They do, yeah. Like we put our trust in them, but they put our their trust in us mm-hmm. to be able to pick those clues up and run with them. There is no, it doesn't feel like they're looking for a gotcha moment or if they no. are, it's something very light mm-hmm. and kind of playful. Yeah. Which I appreciate so much more. <laughs> Me too. Uh, that's the end of the episode. I want to thank everybody for listening to this week's pod, and we will be back, of course, next week for Season 5, Episode 4. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to go give us a iTunes rating, send us some emails uh, at bettercastsaul at baldmove.com if you want to get your feedback in for next week's show. Uh, you can do all of that and check out everything else we're doing. Like I said, Westworld's coming back pretty soon. Uh, we got Picard and New Pope. Everything's going on right now. You got anything going on? Do anything crazy you want to tell people about? No. No? <laughs> what? Is there something that you're thinking of? No, I don't know. You make pins. That's the thing. Yeah, I make pins. I have a pin store. Just a little just a little guy. Yeah. I have a pin store. I am a the art director and an associate editor for Cast of Wonders, which is a YA podcast. Probably not going to be your all's thing, but yeah. it's there. Uh, check out Escape Artists. They have a family of podcasts, and they do a lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Give me uh, escape artist name, but you're not given your your pin company name. Oh yeah, no, it it ain't that serious. It's pin-y.com. Yeah, if you're interested. And on a personal note, I would just like to say thank you to everyone who has been giving positive feedback mm-hmm. and who has been saying nice things about me. Um, I know it was a big a big change to have me on the podcast this season instead yeah. of Aaron. But so many people have been so supportive, and that really helps me keep going. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm grateful to those people too because I think you know this is a hard thing to do to just jump in on a show. Um, that granted, you love the show, and you've you've seen all of the show, you've seen all of Breaking Bad, you've mm-hmm. like done all that stuff. But like jumping in and trying to fill some other co-host shoes uh, is tough. There are a lot of good reasons for why Aaron is no longer on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just, I don't want to go into it too much here. Yeah. I just want to say like this was a mutual decision. He wasn't kicked off the show by any, right. you know, higher power Jesus or <laughs> Jeff Bezos or whoever. Cthulhu. Yeah. Cthulhu, yeah. <laughs> uh it was a decision we all came to together. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to hear more about it, we talked about it on lunch a couple of weeks ago, lunch with Jim and Aaron. Uh if you're a club member, you can go check that out. So that's that's all I really want to say about that. Um, we will see you guys for five oh four next week. And Namaste. Until then, all Sorry. right, it is yes. called Namaste. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Alexis.